Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Relationship Goals. People often look at happy images of marriages on social media and say, I want that, but they don't really know what that is. The real secret to a great marriage goes far deeper than just a hashtag. In this four-part series, we'll define four goals that will enable couples to keep their focus on the right path for their marriage. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Welcome to Valley Brook. Whether you're joining us online or you're here in our Granby campus, we're glad you're here. We're starting a new series today called Relationship Goals, and while we're going to be specifically talking about marriage, I believe that regardless of where you are with uh, your marital status, uh, I believe there's something in all of this for, all, for everyone, and uh, we're going to be turning to Scripture and looking what it says to us uh, about relationships, and specifically about marriage. So I want to encourage you to get out something to take notes on so you can uh, see what Scripture says and so it can inform you in your relationships. Let me start with an illustration. In in 2016, Sebastian uh, Stadel, who was a software engineer in the San Francisco Bay Area, determined that he was going to find the one for him. Uh, All of his previous relationships had failed, And so because he was a software engineer, he thought he would turn to what he knows best to try to find the one. He wrote in in an online article, he says, listen, I'm a fat, bald, short guy whose only quality is that I'm not an axe murderer. He said, I want to find the one, the special relationship that will last forever and will multiply happiness. But he goes on, he says, listen, I'm bad at small talk, and I jump too fast to intellectual conversations, making it completely awkward. And I'm 31, and I want to have a family, and so I figured I better not procrastinate. I needed to get serious about dating. So I downloaded a dating app, and I decided to hack the system and go for volume. And I determined that I was going to find the one, even if it meant I just swiped right through the entire Bay Area. So that's what Sebastian did. He created an algorithm. He hacked the dating app to manage online dating automatically. His app worked quickly, and he got hundreds of matches and hundreds of messages. And this is what he writes. He said, I had to qualify each lead to see with which woman there was a fit and which one there wasn't to maximize my chances of finding the right one. So I automated everything, openers, follow-up messages, bookmarking, text messages, and phone number recording. The, message was, uh, the machine was well-oiled. I, I assumed that the uh, message would work better if I didn't personalize it and I just automated, but I discovered after 10,000 messages, it really didn't make a difference. He said, at least that's what the data said. Ultimately, Sebastian says he went on 150 dates in four months. Now, if you're doing the math, that's more than one date a day for 120 days in a row. But unfortunately, Sebastian did not find his one true love. You know, the reality is in our culture, there's this obsession with finding the one, the one true love. Researchers call this myth 
the one. And this is what the myth is, is that there is one person and only one person in this world that will be completely compatible with you and whom you will have perfect romance and it will be entirely fulfilling and without any conflict. And because people buy into that myth, after they get married and discover that their one true love has some annoying habits and some other faults, they wonder if they made the wrong choice. Now, I don't know if you've recently watched the musical Hamilton, but, but I've watched it a couple times. And one of the things I've discovered is that Alexander Hamilton actually struggled with wondering if he had married the one that was right for him. He married Eliza Schuyler, but all through the musical, he wonders if he should have married her sister, Angelica Schuyler. So it's something that's timeless in our culture. And the reality is, followers of Jesus, Christians, also struggle with the myth of finding the right one. But what we're going to talk about today and what we're going to look at is really for everyone who is a follower of Jesus. Regardless of your marital status, whether you're single and you never plan on getting married, whether you're dating and you hope to get married, or whether you're married in a season of life, and even if you're married to someone who's not yet a follower of Jesus, the reality is we all have one important relationship that we have to focus on, and we're going to talk about that. And so what I want to tell, us, tell everybody is that we need to order our relationships and that first and foremost, that primary number one relationship has to be our relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It has to be number one. Jesus understood this. I'm going to take out a scripture that you probably have heard before. And the reality is this scripture points us to something that you may never have thought about. Jesus was teaching, and he was teaching uh, about God's word, and someone broke in and said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what Jesus said. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he went on, and he said, there's a second like it. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. You know, not only do these verses remind us that we are to love God with all that we are and to love others just like we want to be loved, what these verses are telling us is that our primary relationship, the one relationship that all of us should seek after, is that relationship with God. It should be primary, our relationship with God through our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, it's supposed to be the most important relationship that we have. And that's true. Uh, whether you're in a marriage or you're dating or you don't plan on getting marriage, that Jesus needs to be that number one relationship in our lives. And Jesus said, listen, you know, uh, that we're supposed to love God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with all that we are. And then he shows us the order. And then after that, then that next relationship Particularly if you're married, it needs to be your spouse. Your spouse needs to be the, the primary neighbor relationship in your life. They need to be the number two in all of your relationships. The number one human relationship, but the number two in relationship to God. You need to order your relationships that way. And then all of the others flow down from there. You know, the reality is this. If you're married or if you're dating and planning to get married, uh, that special person needs to know that they're the most important human relationship in your life. 
Now, if you're already married and have kids, spouses is the number one human relationship, then your kids come after that, and then your, their friendships after that. And, and it's amazing when you look at what Jesus says in this. He says, listen, if you love God with all your heart as your number one, and then if you learn to love other people, if you learn to lo- learn to love people as you yourself want to be loved, you're going to do something that's miraculous. You're going to be able to keep all of the Hebrew laws. There were 613. You're going to be able to keep them all perfectly if you love God and love others the way that you want to be loved. Not only will you keep the law, but you'll also keep all of the teachings of the prophets. Powerful when we get that order right and when we follow it. So what would making Christ our number one relationship look like? How would we figure that out? The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans these words. He says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now, Paul's being crystal clear here because he's saying, listen, you've been brought from death in your sins to life because you've been forgiven of your sins and given a new life. And you're alive in Christ through his righteousness and through his forgiveness for your sins. And so you need to live every part of your lives seeking to be an instrument of righteousness be a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to seek to live our lives in that way. But here's the reality. There's a big difference between calling ourselves Christians and actually making Christ number one and pursuing his righteousness. Just because our parents are Christians doesn't mean we're Christians. Just because we go to church doesn't mean we're a follower of Jesus Christ. It actually means saying, I believe in you, Jesus, and I want to follow you, and I'm going to pursue that relationship with you as my primary relationship. And that means believing in him, following his teaching, and pursuing that righteousness that Paul talks about. Now, As we talk about ordering our relationships, and particularly as we talk about it in marriage, I thought it would really be helpful for us to be candid and talk about that. So I'm going to invite my wife, Cynthia, to come up and join me here. And, you know, we're going to talk about our our marriage, and we're going to be really candid with you. You know, we're going to be transparent and open and honest, and just from the get-go, just uh, let you know that uh, we're not perfect. Um, we've had our, made our mistakes along the way, but we, we seek to honor God. And so, you know, we began dating when we were in college and we got to know each other. Cynthia was a Christian. I wasn't a Christian and she was uh, sharing Christ with me and praying that I would come to faith in Jesus Christ. I came to faith in Jesus Christ and she uh, really began the process uh, of helping me to be discipled as well as discipling me too. We, uh, I graduated from college a year ahead of her and went on to seminary because I had sensed God's call to be a pastor. Cynthia graduated from college, and the year she graduated, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. And uh, then we began the process of dating long distance and planning a marriage long distance. And uh, our, our pastor who was going to marry us required that we do premarital counseling. So we set that up, and I don't know if it was after the first or the second uh, session with the premarital counselor, but... Uh, he basically told us he had some doubts about whether we should get married or not. And we walked out of that uh, session a, a little shocked and a little numb. 
But as we uh, began to process that, we, we knew we loved each other. Uh, we knew that we loved each other more than any other person in the world. We knew that we loved God, and we, and we knew that we wanted to really put God first in, in our marriage. And, and so as we began to plan our, our marriage, one of the things we said is we want to make our lives together, our marriage, an offering to God. We wanted to put God first in everything that we did. Now, I'm going to confess, we had no clue what that looked like. Uh, we had no idea what that could uh, entail. Uh, we were young and naive, but we said that's what we want to do. Yeah, I was 21, <laughs> and he was older and wiser. He was 22. So we were babies. Yeah. We really were. And um, I came from a very loving home, but dysfunctional, and he grew up with Ward and June Cleaver. So we came from very different backgrounds as well. We're also both leaders, and so when we both want to lead at the same time, always, it kind of brings up stubbornness and pride like a lap around NASCAR. <laughs> so uh, it was very different than dating, because I met you when I was 17. Yep. You were the first person that I met at University of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. and. Um, so we had actually known each other for a long time. We'd been friends. We'd been dating. And um, I, I don't think we saw what was coming. No. Uh, being married was hard. Yeah. It was not dating. Mm -mm. And uh, he was uh, in seminary. So I moved to where he had been living for two years. And he already had a friend group. He already had a routine. His friends came over for chips and drinks every day at four o'clock, and I, <laughs> he, he had his whole routine set up, you know? So um, it was hard. I was working two jobs to support us, and um, we just didn't, we had a hard time connecting yeah. and a hard time um, coming together. And I felt really alone, um, and I actually wanted to, I didn't want to sign to re-up for year two. I was like, wow, um, I wanted to run away. Mm -hmm. And um, you really kept saying, this is going to get better. Yeah. This is going to get better. And I did not believe you. Yeah. 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 You know, that commitment to be an offering, it didn't change, but it sort of moved to the back seat. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, I graduated from seminary. We took a call to a church in Minnesota, and we, uh, we moved out there, and we began uh, doing ministry, and uh, we also began to sort of still do our own things mm -hmm. in our own uh, way. Um, from there, we, uh, we were called to a, another church, and we actually began to do ministry a little bit more, but we also began our family there. So that brought a whole new dynamic. Both of our kids were born in, in Minnesota, um, and, and we, you know, we went through the ups and down seasons, times <laughs> when we didn't feel in love and, and times when we were sort of banging heads together and, and going through uh, difficult seasons, and yet going through great seasons. And it was, a, it was just a, a time of going up and down. And then we uh, sensed God calling us to Connecticut to... Uh... Let me just go back. <laughs> I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina on the water. And did you hear the part about moving to Minnesota? It's yes. cold there, Yes. 10 months out of the year. <laughs> There's like winter and the 4th of July. Yeah. 
Okay, go ahead. All right, all right. So, so we moved to Connecticut and with a sense of God calling us to, to plant a church, but I know something had happened in your life that was pretty significant in those last years in Minnesota. Yeah, I, I was really unhappy. Yeah. And um, that was hard being, you know, uh, at a church, you know, pastoral staff, yeah. Uh, and I sat in the back of church one day and... Um, I, I needed to make a decision, you know, and I, the decision was, I said out loud, I'm going to stay. And, you know, the enemy can't hear what's in our head, all the thoughts that are in our head, the enemy can't hear, but, but he can hear when we make a statement for Jesus, when we say, I'm going to stay in the name of Jesus, yeah. right? And that's power. When we speak that out, that's power. That changes the game. And uh, it can change destiny to speak something out loud in the name of Jesus. And I made that decision um, on the back row, uh, and I said, I'm going to stay. And I really didn't anticipate happiness, but I was going to stay um, because we had made a commitment. Yeah. And we had a family, and I was going to stay. And we began to pray for each other. We prayed for we prayed but not consistently. And we began to fight for our marriage um, with prayer and counseling. Uh, we had to get out of the way. Yeah. And uh, we really had to ask God. We had to you know, just rely on God um, and learn to communicate. You guys have heard me say that Jesus is my everything and my only thing. Well, this is kicking into high gear because I, we couldn't, we just couldn't go on without Jesus being the center. Yep. And um, we began to pray for each other. And we began to, you know, God says that he will fight the battle for us. We just need to be still. But, but we began to actively uh, be a part of praying over each other. Uh, every morning when I leave for school, even still, Clark lays hands on me and prays uh, for me. And you guys will see when he's on the front row, when we're on the front row on Sunday mornings, I put my hand on his shoulder and I pray over him that he will, um, will teach with the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, um, by praying together, I feel like we began to lean closer to each other and closer to God. And he really connected us and became our focus mm -hmm. and not only our focus, but our joy. And when you have kids, you know that that um, leads you to prayer pretty quickly, <laughs> right? And so we, we have just gone face down yeah. um, for our children, um, for how we spend our money, for how we spend our time. You know, we really, um, it's been a long journey. We've been married 34 years. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I have to tell you that, um, Without Jesus, I can't imagine being where we are today. Yeah. I am more in love with you than I was um, when I was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's such great joy just to be um, in ministry with you and to be your wife, um, to see our kids grown. And um, it's, it's answer to prayer. It's answer to his grace over our lives. Yeah. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you continued to say, we're going to work this out with him. Yeah. 
And uh, it's a testament, really, of, of God's power and love and grace and mercy. It is, because I am not easy to live with. Um, and so uh, you have loved me and you have stuck it out with me. He's not. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yep, yep. You know, the reason we wanted to share this is because we want to encourage you to make Jesus number one, regardless of where you are. And look, we know that marriage isn't easy. We know some of you may have uh, decided to call it quits, and, and you may have had to do that, and, and uh, we understand that. But some of you may be struggling, and we want to tell you it's worth the fight. Mm -hmm. it's, it's worth the work um, for your marriage, and it, it's worth uh, what you've done, but it's really important to make it centered around Jesus. And so we just want to pray for you, and uh, then after I pray, I'm going to finish up my sermon. So thank you for sharing with us. Yeah, and I just want to say, too, that if you are struggling and you want somebody to talk to or pray with, we're not counselors, mm -hmm. but we are happy to pray with you yeah. and provide resources. Yeah. Um, and so please, um, you've got Clark's yeah. cell and email address um, online. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you love us all so much that you want to be in a relationship with us. So, Lord, I pray uh, for all of us to go deeper in that relationship with you if we have one or to begin one with you. And I pray, Lord, that in marriage that we can find you as the center of our marriage, that we would put you in the, the primary position and then allow our marriage relationship to fall into place. And we pray for your uh, power to heal and restore any brokenness and to do only what you can do through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, honey. Mm -hmm. So the first point that I made was about ordering our relationships. The second one I want to make is about centering your relationships. And so I want to talk about having a Christ-centered life. Now, when I talk about relationship goals, really what we're talking about today with regards to marriage, but all relationships, is to have a, a Christ-centered relationship. And what I'm talking about is really making Jesus number one in our lives and centering everything we do in our lives around that relationship. Um, I will say this, um, if you're not married and you're looking forward to having a marriage and you want to have to be a Christ-centered marriage, then you need to start living a Christ-centered life today. All right. The Apostle Paul gives us some insight in what it means to live a Christ-centered life. You know, when he was imprisoned for preaching the gospel, he wrote to the church in Philippi, and he shared with them that no matter what happened to him, he wanted them to live a life that honored Jesus. And he said these famous words. He said, for me to live is Christ." and to die is gain. Basically what he's saying is, listen, while I'm living on this earth, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. I'm going to live a Christ-centered life. He said, when I die, it will be a gain because I will be with Jesus forever in heaven. But let's focus on what it means to live for Christ. What he's talking about is centering our life around our faith in Jesus Christ. It simply means to live in a way that honors Christ and promotes the things that Christ is about in our own life and in the world. And so, as followers of Jesus, we should all say, to live is Christ. 
So if you've made Jesus Christ the most important relationship in your life, he's number one, your, your faith in God through faith in Jesus Christ, and you want to live a Christ-centered life, you want to have a Christ-centered marriage, what would that look like? I'm going to give you some obvious answers, and there's going to be a scripture attached to those answers to support those. And by the way, uh, all of these are general commands in scriptures for everybody regardless of their marital status. And so you need to realize this is how God wants us to live in relationships, not just in marriage, but also in relationships with all people. Here's the first thing. Love each other like Christ loves you. Love each other like Christ loves you. How does Jesus love us? Jesus loves us completely. He loves us totally. He loves us sacrificially. Jesus loved us so much that he stretched out his arms and was nailed to a cross to provide eternal life for us, to empower us in this life and to give us the promise of eternity. You know, I, I say this to husbands a lot. When you read in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, it says, husbands Love your wives like Christ loved the church. And remember, he gave up his life for the church. The next thing that we need to do to have a Christ-centered marriage, to have a Christ-centered life, is to forgive each other like the Lord forgives us. All right? The reality is, in all relationships, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to do something, we're going to hurt somebody, we're going to need to seek forgiveness, and we're going to need to give forgiveness to those who hurt us. And so, as followers of Jesus, we're not supposed to hang on to those hurts, we're supposed to, to process them, to work through them, help find resolution, and, for, and then offer forgiveness. Now, I say this to people often. Forgiveness is not just a once-and-done action. You know, sometimes when you're working through a hurt, you may not work through it completely, and then all of a sudden, six months down the road, something will bring up that hurt again, and you'll be angry, and you'll be upset, and you need to offer forgiveness again. We need to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. That's a great example the next thing that we need to do is we need to honor others above ourselves. This is from the book of Romans. Honor each other above yourselves. You know, to honor each other means to respect one another, to show admiration for one another. Now, let's be honest, this can be challenging because you may have a friend or you may be in a marriage where your spouse doesn't always do things that are honorable. But we're talking about honoring each other. And so you can begin for honoring them for who they are, even if they haven't always done honorable things. And you can even honor them for the role that they play in your lives. And then if you need to work through some of that stuff that's not honorable, that gives you the opportunity to do that. Which really takes us to the next thing that we need to do to have Christ-centered relationships. We need to serve each other. You know, to have a Christ-centered marriage, to be Christ-centered, we need to recognize that we need to, to serve one another. In marriage, we need to serve our spouses. We need to figure out what we can do to come alongside them and to help them. And so uh, I tell people this, study your spouse and serve them in a way that means the most to them. You know, early in our marriage, uh, Cynthia loves to celebrate birthdays, and Cynthia loves bakery birthday cakes. 
She loves the, the flavor of cakes from the bakery. And so those first couple of years, she would buy me a, a bakery birthday cake. And I'd eat a piece or two, but I'd never finish it because I don't really like them. And, and somewhere along the way, she must have asked me, but she said, what's your favorite kind of cake? And you guys are going to laugh at this, but my favorite kind of cake is Duncan Hines chocolate cake with Duncan Hines chocolate icing. So she studied me, and she makes that for my birthday every time, and there is rarely a leftover piece of that cake. Because she studied me and wants to serve me that way. The next thing we need to know is we need to know that we need to encourage one another. In the book of Hebrews, it, it talks about encouraging each other. And, and it's specifically talking about encouraging each other spiritually, finding ways to help one another grow in their faith. And we're not talking about just spiritual disciplines that we do by ourselves, but, but spiritual disciplines that, that we do together. As you learned, as you heard from our story, you know, Cynthia and I didn't start off uh, really always doing the things that would help us grow in Christ and, and make our lives an offering. We didn't pray together a lot, but we've grown in that, and we've grown in encouraging one another. And the reality is that we all need to encourage one another to do things like attend church together, join a life group together where you can study God's Word with other people, and, and even study it and talk about it with each other, and find ways to serve in the body of Christ together so you can encourage one another. Now, look, I realize that I've just given you five things, and that sounds a bit overwhelming, and that was not my, that was not my goal, to overwhelm you with five things to do. So uh, just relax. But I do have one thing that I do want to challenge you with. And I believe it's an important challenge because I believe if you accept this challenge, it will help you live a Christ-centered life, and those other things will naturally begin to propagate them in your marriage and in your life and in your relationships. And here's the challenge. I want to challenge you, particularly in marriage, to pray with one another. All right? Now, somebody say, whoa, wait a minute. You're going to ask me to, to pray out loud with my spouse? Um, that may be overwhelming. I still remember when Cynthia and I were dating and she asked me to, to pray with her and I was completely overwhelmed because I had never prayed out loud with somebody before in my life. Um, and maybe you're saying, well, maybe my, my spouse isn't uh, a follower of Jesus. That's okay. I'm sure they would appreciate if you prayed for them and with them. So, so don't get freaked out that your spouse, who maybe is not a believer, um, you're asking them to pray with you. Uh, you're just going to pray for them. Remember what Jesus said. In the Gospel of Matthew, he said, I tell you, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For when two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Jesus is talking about prayer. He's talking about coming together and, and praying uh, to him. So that's my encouragement, my challenge, to pray with each other. You know, there's a promise in, in Scripture that Jesus says, when you do this, when you come together, I'll be there in your midst. That's part of the spiritual power in praying together, that Jesus is there. But, but I would tell you, it's my own personal experience, and when I talk to other people, it's their experience too. Not only is there spiritual power in praying together, but there's something emotionally intimate about opening your hearts and minds together to God and praying together with your spouse. 
In fact, I just read an article in Psychology Today, and they actually did a study on couples who prayed together, and they discovered that couples who pray for one another or pray and pray with one another actually grow deeper in their relationship. This is what they said. Research validates the power of prayer, demonstrating that it, in, it increases relational commitment and satisfaction, and it decreases infidelity, proving that faith promotes faithfulness. So how can you do this daily prayer challenge? Well, I'm going to give it to you really simple. Three steps. Keep it short. Start off with 30 seconds. That first time that Cynthia asked us to pray, this is my prayer, pretty much. Dear God, thank you for today. Amen. That was it. Uh, that was all I could handle. So keep it short. Second thing, keep it consistent. Seek to pray with your spouse every day. All right? And here's the third thing. If you miss one day, don't miss two days. All right? Make it a goal not to miss two days in a row. That simple. Start off short. Be consistent. If you miss a day, don't miss two days. It, it's, it's that simple. See, the big picture is our relationship goals should be Christ-centered. Christ-centeredness in marriage, Christ-centeredness in our friendships, Christ-centeredness in our dating. We should seek to do that. And, and the way we do that is we put God as the number one relationship in our lives. And then we seek as followers of Jesus to live a Christ-centered life. So I want to pray for us that we can do that. But I realize that some of you are saying, well, how do I have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. Very simply, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to suggest some things that you can pray to God and begin that relationship with Him. If you pray that prayer, please send us an email at connect at valleybrook.cc because I want to send you an electronic book so that it will encourage you to grow in that relationship. So wherever you are, whether you're in the room or at our online campus, just close your eyes and uh, bow your heads. And I'm going to start off just leading you in a prayer to make a commitment to Christ. Father, as we gather in here, we're so grateful you, that you desire for us to grow in our faith in you and our commitment to you and to have God-honoring, Christ-centered relationships. So for anybody who's never had a relationship with God and you want to begin that today, very simply, you can just pray these words back to God in your own words. The first thing I want you to tell them is that, say, you know, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And now I want to follow Jesus all of my life. We'll conclude that part of the prayer, but then I'm just going to pray for all of us. God, you have shown us how important through Jesus' own teaching that we need to love you with all that we are. Make you our number one relationship. So I pray, Lord, that we can do that, that we could lean into that, and that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would encourage us to live Christ-centered lives where you are our primary relationship. Help us to do that so it impacts not only our relationship with you, but all of our other relationships and our marriages. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.